Taylor Hall was good enough to be a franchise player, but he doesn't have what it takes between the years to be a franchise player. Welcome to episode 15 of The Fanalists. Holy shit, we've already made it to 15. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to give you our NBA round one picks, like we mentioned last week. Brett and I wrote our picks down before the start of the round, so even though the round has already started, we're going to be giving you our picks based on no games being played yet, so so it'll be unbiased based on wins and losses so far. And then we're going to get into hockey, because that's our bread and butter. We'll talk about everything that's gone on in round one round one's starting to come to an end has a chance to be done tonight so let's get into it there's lots of stuff to talk about today uh let's start with our nba picks brett what do you have who do you have for uh first round in the east uh do you have a matchup you want to start with because i just kind of have them written down here Okay, then let's start with uh, Philly versus Washington. All right, I actually got Philly in four. Philly's been on their way to being a really good team the last few years. Um, We saw them have struggle with the Raptors when the Raptors were good. Well, they've continued to get better, and a lot of the teams around them have taken a step back. I think this might actually be a really good year for Philly, and if uh, Joel Embiid plays like he showed he can play this year and can stay healthy through playoffs, uh, teams need to be very aware of the 76ers this year. Yeah, I've got Philly taking it as well. Um, although I don't think it's going to be in four. I think it's going to be a, a longer series. I think Westbrook and Beal through this year have had a lot of fight in them, um, and they're going to put up a fight in this series. But in the end, I think Philly's going to take it. Embiid's been solid. Philly's had a solid team, and they're on their way to being a really serious championship contender. And I don't think Washington has what it takes to shut them down. So, Russell Westbrook, I don't know. He just kind of scares me. Like, he, he seems to be one of those stat-motivated players where he's not super motivated on the win. I mean, hopefully that changes in playoffs, but... There are just some kind of concerns about him for me, and there's a lot of depth on the 76ers. Also, there's an ongoing joke in the garage where everyone calls him Russell East Creek, so we just tend to be a little (laughs) bit of haters on Russell Westbrook these days. All right, let's go to New York with the Knicks versus Atlanta. All right, who do you got in this series? I got the Knicks taking it. Um, like Julius Randle has had an MVP caliber season. Obviously, he's not quite in that MVP conversation, but he's had a really solid season. And, yeah, I got to vote with the solid Canadian. So I'm giving it to the Knicks. R.J. Barrett, let the Canadian go move on to second round and see where that takes the Knicks. So, I actually have the same thoughts. I got Knicks in seven. 
uh, for the same reasons. I really want to uh, continue to watch the NBA playoffs and be really invested in it like I have been the last couple of years with the Raptors, and obviously the Raptors aren't in this year, so I'd like to follow the good Canadian boy and R.J. Barrett. So in order to do that, they got to get out of the first round, and I think they're in a good position to do that this year. All right, and Milwaukee versus Miami. Who do you have in that one? Bucks and four. They are absolutely making a mockery of this series so far. Uh, the Heat just do not look like that team that we saw last year in the playoffs, and that's a real shame because it looked like they really had something going last year. But the bubble Heat are not the Heat we have right now, and I think for that reason that Giannis is going to walk through this series. Yeah, that's I, I had Miami down, but seeing the start of this, I gotta I, I don't think it's going to be – I don't think Miami has what it takes, but I'm going to go with Miami just because I wrote them down before the start of the se- series, but I will point out I did actually write down in my notes if Miami gets down early in the season er, – early in the series – they won't have what it takes to come back. And and that's what we've seen <laughs> to start the series so far. So it's not looking like Miami's going to pull it off, but I've got Miami anyways. Yeah, so I caught part of the last game, and I just – it just looked like by the fourth quarter they'd already given up. There was no fight to come back. It was just exactly like you said. And if you've already got that mentality – uh, in game three, I just don't know how you fight to make this a series. All right. Brooklyn thinks they're the champion. Boston just squeaked in. Who's going to take it? So, I have Nets in five. I still think Brooklyn has some really good players. They have a pretty good system. They've Pretty consistent team. They're not, like, the best team, but they're never straight out to lunch where you're like, wow, I can't stand watching this team. And I think Brooklyn just doesn't really play enough defense to to sweep series. Uh, so I think it'll probably be Brooklyn in five. Yeah, I've got Brooklyn taking it too. Uh, I think that they've just – they've got so much firepower and so much veteran presence that playoffs is – Playoffs are what they're built for. Um, they're they're going to take this series. I don't have any a doubt in my mind. I'll be surprised if they don't. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, can you hear the construction going on in the background? Nope. No? All right, cool. Got my window open. My neighbor's just drilling shit outside. Yeah. All right. No, I can't hear anything. You're good to go. Sweet. All right, let's move over to the Western Division, or the Western Conference, I guess. We'll start with Utah versus Memphis. So, I have Jazz in six. Um. The series has actually been a little bit closer than I thought, but I still think the NBA first round, it just 
tends to not be similar to some other sports where it would go seven games, and I think it'll it's a Jazz and six type series. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you again on this one. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of similar picks for for NBA. Um, I guess that maybe goes to show our our lack of knowledge <laughs> towards the NBA, but I don't have very many uh, um, like shockers coming up. I got one, and it's actually looking really good based on how the series has played out so far. So I'm excited to talk about it. All right, um, I will say I do. I have Utah, but I'm interested in this series because they're two totally opposite teams. The Jazz um, led in regular season in points from three, where the Grizzlies led from points in the paint. Um, so I'm really excited to see kind of how that matchup goes because they are exactly the opposite. They both have a different styled offense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they adapt their defense to match up against that. Yeah, I agree. It's been it's been actually a pretty interesting series to watch. I caught part of the last game and uh, the whole first game. So hopefully we can keep that rolling because I think uh, it's a great time to be a sports fan right now with all the playoffs. Doesn't matter what uh, league you're into, whether it's the NBA or the NHL or even the start of Major League Baseball. There is so much sports we watch right now. It is. The best time to be a sports fan. It is. It's just constant. Um, that's what I've I've missed basketball because I've been focused more on hockey. But I, it's uh, yeah. There's a lot of sports going on right now. All right. So the Clippers versus Dallas. So this is my hot take. So do you want to go first so I can get into it a little bit? Sure, maybe I've got, I don't know, maybe mine's a hot take too, but I've got Dallas winning it. Um, All right, so I guess we're on the same side. Um, <laughs> uh, I I really like Doncic. I, I think Porzingis is great. And they both are very strong defensive teams. So I would imagine the games are going to be fairly low scoring for the most part. And I think Dallas just has a little bit of the edge on on offense for it. Yeah, so I'm going to agree with everything you said. I, I have uh, Dallas in seven. But I'm also going to say that part of me picking Dallas is actually on the Clippers themselves. I've just never seen the chemistry you expect when you bring two players together like the way the Clippers did and expect them to be successful, like those two players wanted to play together, what exactly is happening? I, I'm just, it's its kind of disappointing. I mean, I'm not a Clippers fan, and I might be a little bit salty as a Raptors fan about Kawhi leaving, but I really expected to see this team be a dominant team. And... I actually had it in my head that you would see them go up against the Lakers in the West, and the Western Conference Final would be more intense than the Finals because you have these two really good teams. But 
since this team has been assembled, the Clippers haven't really been able to do that. So it's it's pretty disappointing, and uh, that's why I have the the Mavericks taking the series in seven. Yeah, I I like the or I can get behind the idea of being a little bit upset over uh, uh over Kawhi leaving as well. Like that does skew like, me towards yeah. Dallas a little bit. Honestly, I I do kind of like the daunted story too. Like I I watched that draft with my buddies, and I have uh, one buddy who pretty into the draft in the NBA, and he's like. You know, this kid really should go first, but he won't because of how the NBA favors, like, fancy American players and and branding. But because Doncic isn't, like, the flashiest player, he plays, like, a very structured game, and he can do a little bit of everything instead of being, like, the typical high flyer that you build your team around to sell jerseys. And he's shown every little bit of that since coming into the league. Yeah, he absolutely has. That's I really like him as a player. All right, so going, keeping, moving down the list, um, we've got Denver versus Portland. Um, who who do you have in this series? I have Nuggets and six. So I actually like the Trailblazers, and I hate to to do this, but the Nuggets are just too good, and I don't uh, don't think it's going to be a long series. I I mean I'd like to see it go to seven, but the Nuggets have just been too good all year, and the Trailblazers have some really good pieces, but they're just not a complete team yet in my eyes. So I I think they're still going to struggle this year. All right, so we finally have a differing opinion. I've got uh, I've got the Trailblazers taking it. I think that the Nuggets have Jokic, who has been really solid all year, but they don't have a lot of high-powered tools around him, whereas I feel like Portland has a lot more tools that they can pull out of the toolbox. So if Portland can find an answer for Jokic and shut him down, then they have a chance to take this series fairly easily. But Jokic has been dominant all year, so it'll be hard to shut him down. That, but I think that, that they was can. My, my kind of deep dive on it kind of gave me the feeling that the Trailblazers don't have enough size to stop Jokic if he goes and tries to dominate the paint. Obviously, the guy can play all over the place, but he can dominate the paint. And if he has to do that to win a series, the Trailblazers don't really have anyone that matches up against that, so it'll have to be a team game that makes that happen. And uh, watching the Raptors try to kind of play without some real size this year and play the team game to to remedy that, it just doesn't quite work, and and that's what makes me a little bit worried. All right, and let's wrap it up with Phoenix versus the Lakers. Um, left this one to the end on purpose. What are your thoughts on this one? 
Lakers in seven. I think this is going to be a series. Uh, I've been kind of a closet Devin Booker fan for for a long time. And uh, he's just one of those guys you can get behind. He's infectious. He looks like he's having a great time when he's playing the game. And I'm just a sucker for those players. So I want to see it go to seven for, for his sake. But I still think the Lakers just have too much star power. And they can decide to end the series whenever they please. All right, I got this. I got the Suns winning it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Fuck. I got the Suns taking it, and that is purely a from the heart decision. I think realistically, yes, the Lakers are the better team, but the Suns have been really solid this year. They're they've got a young core that I think could come out and surprise them. Plus. Honestly, I've just had enough of LeBron James. I think, like, when he started complaining about the play-in tournament and all that shit earlier, in the, or, like, a few weeks ago, I was just like, all right, I want to see you out. I don't even want to see you make the playoffs. Um, so I, I I hope that the Suns can beat them, just because I don't want to see LeBron make it to the second round. I don't know what happened to superstars in sports, but... Back in the day, the superstars were the ones that didn't say anything and just went to work, and they got respect for what they did on the court. And those are supposed to be the people LeBron James idolizes, so I don't get what his mentality is, because he really comes off pretty soft complaining about the play-in as soon as he actually has to play in it. Like, what kind of joke is that? Like, it was fine for everybody else because you didn't think they had a chance to beat you anyways, but when you have to do it, it's horseshit and it shouldn't happen. Like, that's ridiculous. And, like, that's that's why I can't get behind some of the, the newer superstars. And LeBron's not young, but he kind of marks that era where, like, a lot of the guys coming after him in a lot of other sports, Jack Eichel comes to mind. He does an awful lot of talking and... When the nose hits the grindstone, he's not that healthy and he's not that clutch. And I'm, I'm kind of getting sick of all these superstars with that kind of attitude. Yeah, we're really seeing, we're in the in the middle of the era of the ego right now, especially in basketball. Um, and LeBron James is sort of, he's walked in with at the start of that era, and he's sort of led the way, and it's just. At this point, yeah, you can't deny he's a talented player, but don't be a pain in the ass. Just play the game. One hundred percent, I agree. All right, so there's our NBA picks for the first round. Uh, we'll get you our second round picks either next week or the following week. Um. We'll see how the rest of this first round goes. Obviously, we're into, we've had a couple of, every series has played a couple of games at this point, but um, yeah, I don't know. Let's move on to hockey. (laughs) (laughs) So first round is coming to an end in hockey. We're just about over and we've had lots of stories coming out of the first round. Um, but I'd say let's, why don't we start with two stories that aren't actually 
directly related to the first round, but are related to hockey in general. And that is the story with Ron McClain and what's going on with Wayne Gretzky moving to TV to be an ana- analyst. Um, All right. Well, I say we start with Ron McClain because it, it might not be like the cheeriest subject and we finish with Gretzky because I think it is kind of an interesting story. All right. So Ron McClain this week, was it Thursday? Yeah, it would have been Thursday during the Leafs game. Um, had a comment in the second intermission where it was misconstrued or it was taken as a homophobic comment. So he said, referring to a picture of a guy with their shirt off at a party that was on Kevin Bieksa's shelf behind him. He said, you have a photo of a guy with his tarp off. You're definitely positive for something. So the internet blew up saying that's a homophobic comment and he's referring to gay people that have having AIDS and being positive for STDs and all this shit. And I disagree with the internet. And like, I'm part of the LGBT community. Like I'm bisexual. So I feel like I, I am in a position where I can actually have a say on this. And I think that the internet's wrong. I don't think it was a homophobic comment at all. Um, I'll let you weigh in in a sec, but I think like the way I see that situation is Kevin Bieksa and Elliot Friedman have this bromance going on. There's this great banter back and forth. And Ron McClain tried to get in on that banter and he's an old man and just missed the mark <laughs> and said a joke that was probably just not a well thought out joke and missed a step. He's apologized for it. Not a big deal. I don't think that there is a, there's no malicious intent. So I'm over it. Let's move past it. But what what are your thoughts on it? So I actually decided to, to take a different take than I took when we were talking about it. And the only the only real problem I have with it now is, as a super serious sports fan, no matter what any uh, sport it is, I just don't want to see anyone discouraged to be involved in sports. So as long as there's comments, even if it was misconstrued, and there's that many people screaming about it, some somewhere somebody's getting discouraged and doesn't feel like they could kind of fit into that community, and that's not what I want. As a serious sports fan, I just want the best players on the ice at all times. And for me, it doesn't really matter, and I just don't want to see people get discouraged. I Honestly, I think we're seeing Ron McLean get to the same point Don Cherry got where he's there because so many people are attached to him. But his time is definitely kind of starting to pass. And when he gets off the teleprompter, there's some things he says that are kind of in left field. And this happened to just be another one. And I don't really know whether it was a homophobic comment. I really hope it wasn't because I I have a lot of respect for what Rod McClain does uh, for the hockey community 
and how he's so involved, he's all over the place. You got to figure how old this guy is. And in a regular non-COVID year, he's doing hometown hockey all over Canada. And he has a real big impact going to communities that don't normally get a quote-unquote celebrity. So for Rob McLean's sake, I really hope that this wasn't uh, what everyone's saying it is. And he has apologized. So I hope we can move past it. And uh, for Rob McLean's sake, I don't want to rush him out of the spotlight, but I want him to go out of the spotlight in a better way than we saw Don Cherry go. I don't necessarily agree with anything Don Cherry said. I do just know what he meant to a lot of people, and it was a real shame seeing him go out like that. But I want to see this blow over, and I want to see in like a year or two Rob McLean go out the way he deserves to go out with a lot of respect and celebration for the things he's done. But in order for that to happen, he's got to keep it clean for the next two or so years and let this kind of blow over so that he can have the the going away that he deserves to have as such a personality in Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like, I actually, I liked the point you said where regardless of sort of what he meant by the words, it's, the words that were said and how they were misconstrued. Cause yeah, somebody just watching that, not that's not looking into the story after the fact could hear that and go, okay, well that's, that means hockey is still a toxic environment for gay people, which I think it is to some degree, but like it's definitely improving. But, um, but yeah, like I, I do understand that, that point of it for sure. Um, I will say so. Also, in... he... oh, go ahead. Uh, also, I don't, I don't want to say this in the wrong way because I don't, I don't think anyone needs to necessarily put themselves out there and be the poster boy. But at some point, there's a retired NHLer or a current NHLer that isn't straight that needs to speak out, and like I know that person exists. Like, they're either in the league right now or they were in the league. And that person has never really come forward in the NHL still to this day. I think it does speak to a little bit of the toxicity there. But I'm just kind of waiting for that to happen. I think it's going to mean a lot. And I I don't really know what's taken so long. I actually think that a lot of other sports have had people come forward and uh, there have been pro hockey players before, but not at the NHL level, and we know how much the NHL gets the eyes. So I think we really need to see this happen, and I, I, I'm hoping it happens sooner rather than later because there's a lot of players that have been in the league, and you can't tell me that nobody in these communities has been represented on the ice before. So I'm just waiting for that to kind of happen so that we can move forward and that like I said, the best players that could ever be on the ice are the players that are on the ice because as a serious hockey fan, that's what I really want. All right. That seems like a good spot to end that conversation, actually. I think that we both agree Ron McLean probably didn't mean what he said and he was just had a poor choice of words. Um, and I think that's sort of what everyone has agreed on now because he's he's apologized for it and in his apology he did say that he said like i have a responsibility to be conscious of what i say and um and that he didn't intend it as a homophobic comment he was actually just referring to the positive vibes at the party 
that was happening in the picture kind of thing. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I think that it's we're at a point where let's just move past it. It was one quick offhand comment that is that had no harmful intent behind it. Yeah, I think that there there's a lot there's a lot worse things that have have been like if you wanted to purposely um be ignorant to any community could have been way more direct about it. I think there's a a good chance that this was just a mistake and he didn't really realize what he was saying and it and it happened to raise some red flags for some people. And I honestly think it should have, but we all sit there and we've all drove home for our grandparents as a little kid and had our parents go, you know, you can't say that, but your grandparents are a little older than you and they they don't really get it or whatever. We've, we've all been in that situation, so I think that that's just kind of what happened here. At least I hope that's what happened. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. So... Let's move on from that and let's talk about Wayne Gretzky. He is he has just signed on with TNT to be the I guess the lead analyst for the hockey equivalent of Inside the NBA coming up for next season. Uh, that should be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. What do, what are your thoughts on it? So I actually like how they run inside the NBA, and if they do a really good job of that, it would be great for the league. It would be great for American viewership of hockey, and it will bring a lot of fans because they have a ton of personality. But Wayne Gretzky is not Shaq or Charles Barkley, and he's actually way too nice. I have never heard him say one bad thing about the Oilers the whole time he's been there, and they have been an absolute tire fire. And if he's going to be the hockey version inside the NBA, he's got to be a little bit harder on his former peers than he's ever been in his career, and I just don't think he really has that in him. Just seems like too nice of a guy, and that's where I'm worried about it. I think he's got a great mind for the sport. I think he's got some of the best hockey IQ that's ever been on the ice. And I think that will help explain hockey to uh, newer fans. But I just don't know that he's ever going to be able to do the things that Shaq and Charles Barkley do as far as going viral and, and having all these clips of them saying ridiculous things. Because I've never heard Wayne Gretzky say one ridiculous thing in my life. I think it's really going to matter, you know, uh, who else they have surrounding them and, and what goes on there. Yeah, I think that that's going to be the big thing is, like you said, who they have surrounding him. Like, if he comes in and he's sort of the straight man, the pure analyst, the this is what I saw on the play, this is what he could have done better, um, this is how hockey works, then that'll be great. And it'll be cool because he'll have sort of, like he's been a part of the game for so long that he can have this almost like historical opinion. And you know how much knowledge of the game there is rattling around in his brain that I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to, in the middle of a game, go, 
oh, well, back in 1952, this happened, and um, and in this situation, they did this, and that situation, they did that, and like, and really break down the game from that perspective. But that's not what inside the NBA is entirely, right? So if they're trying to mimic that inside the NBA, I think they have to put guys on the other side or people on the other sides of um of Gretzky that can have that negative opinion or can have that like if they can find a guy that's like a grinder from the league that can come in and and talk about it from that perspective and and bash guys like they do on inside the NBA and really talk about it from a almost more of a fan like perspective then um then it could be really good. It could be a really good combination. But if they're leaning into Gretzky to have him be that negative presence, then I think they'll probably miss the mark. The only thing I, like, I agree with what you said. The only thing is, like, when Shaq goes on there and he talks shit, he was the MVP of the league and considered one of the most dominant players to ever play. The guy couldn't shoot a free throw, but he put up a gazillion points and led his team to a ton of success wherever he went. Like, you can't just have some guy who scored 30 goals one time go up there and rip Connor McDavid. Like, that's almost why you need Gretzky, and I just don't see him having that that uh that vibe perfect person for nhl on tnt in five years pk suban yep yep that would be a great fit they got the one orange trophy he was actually really good the games kind of passed him by he's a little too slow these days but when he came in he had more speed than most and he played a real physical style he was a real eye-opening defenseman. He has the the uh, he has the resume to go on there and be like this player needs to be better. Like I just don't think you can bring in Ty Domi or Darcy Tucker on my like from my Leafs radar to go on and talk poorly about Nathan McKinnon or Austin Matthews. Like, they just don't have the credibility. You need, you need a guy who has been there and done that and can have an opinion on these guys. And I think that that's going to be difficult to find in hockey. I think hockey players have a little bit of different temperament. And uh, I think the NHL does that kind of on purpose. I think some of the players that don't have that temperament you're kind of sheltered from. Can also see Tyler Sagan being really good at that in five to six years. Yeah. Well, and what if Gretzky surprises us? He's getting older. Maybe he's just a crotchety old man, and we haven't seen him in front of the media in a long time. Maybe he's got a different vibe to him now. Maybe he's changed his position on the game a little bit, and he is a little more um, aggressive when it comes to his analysis. One of the things I'm excited for is I think one thing for sure he will say is that he's not going to be, he's not pumped about how soft the game has got. Yeah. 
One thing you've consistently heard from Gretzky that opens people's eyes when they listen to him in interviews is the amount of respect he has for the meatheads that used to respect, used to protect him night in and night out. Yeah. And what they did, and that they'd go out and get in a fight and fire everybody up, and he'd go out and score a goal. He has a lot of respect for that. There were a lot of guys doing that when he was playing in the league. And being a guy with that kind of skill, he's had a guy in the age that he grew up, he's had a guy like that alongside him his entire career. So he does have respect for those guys. I I can't see him going on there and ripping a Ryan Reeves or a Tom Wilson for playing a physical game and, and doing what they need to do to be effective NHL players because it's those stars that were protected by guys like that that really do value what those guys did. What if they threw an old guy, and this is just something that, that totally came off the top of my head, but what if they were to hire, like, Yager or someone like that that's just been around forever to be beside Gretzky? I, I think Yager could talk shit 100%. And that would be something fun to watch, too. He's the kind of player that has that attitude and has that lifestyle of, I don't give a shit. Like, you saw it with the... um what was it, the girl that tried to release the pictures of him in bed with her, and he was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I'm proud of that, like, kind of thing. Yeah, like, that was actually quite the story, too. Like, I guess she was, like, a Czech supermodel, and but she was also dating the captain of the World Junior Team. So, like, so I think she sued herself more than, more than a yogger at that point, because, like, it, clearly he didn't care. But he, yeah, he's a guy that I think could be really fun and bring that Shaq-like attitude of just of of like having fun and joking around with it. Yeah, and I think uh, similar to Shaq in an interview, if he wants to tell you that he thinks you could be better, you can't sit there and tell a guy like Yuri Auger that he's wrong. He's done so many things in the NHL and just like the crazy things you heard about him, like smoking cigarettes and drinking Pepsis before every game. That guy is a freak. And he did everything that any NHL player dreams of doing. Yeah. All right. And and I will say too, we don't know yet who's going to be on the sides of Gretzky for the analysis, but we do know that TNT has hired Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchuk for play-by-play and color. So that should be good to see too. Like, I mean, Eddie Olchuk is, he is one of the voices of the NHL games. Like he, he's a voice that we grew up with. Um, so he's going to be great. So I'm, I'm honestly kind of excited to see what TNT can do with, for hockey and, and bring a different fan base to hockey. I take TNT hires Don Cherry because Americans don't give a fuck. Like they don't even hear <laughs> about what happened the first time. Like guaranteed, they don't even know. And like they're super patriotic about their veterans. I think they'd just let it go. They wouldn't care. There's there's people that have done way worse things on TV in the U.S. So maybe they just bring Don back for a couple years. Yeah, except they're going to want him to try and talk about American players, and he'll be like, nope, he's garbage. 
not good Canadian good, boy. Good. He's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, the time has passed, and like Don made his fair share of mistakes, but I'll never forget some of that good Canadian boy stuff <laughs> and just the ridiculousness. Yeah, regardless of how he left his career, he's still an iconic piece of hockey and like Canadian, like Canadiana. He is just a part of the country. Yeah, and that's what kind of made my argument for uh, Ron McLean. Like, I just, I don't want to see this ruin Ron McLean. I think he deserves, I don't necessarily think Don Cherry deserved it after what he said. But I was disappointed uh, because I always pictured him getting a good going away where, like, he went to a lot of games and, you know, everybody gave him, like, a gift basket. You saw him drop the puck. Like, that's what I always kind of saw for the end of Don Cherry. So I hope we get to see that for Ron McLean because I don't think what he did was nearly as bad and he was willing to apologize. And it's pretty well documented that Don Cherry would still be on TV if he would have apologized. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say too, with Ron McLean, he is the nicest guy. Like I work in this, I work for CBC, so I'm there all the time. Obviously everything I say on this podcast has nothing to do with my employer or my thoughts with the employer. I signed a thing that said that I don't speak for the employer. Um, <laughs> but so I, I've passed Ron McLean in the halls and he's always one to just, say hi, give you a wave, he'll hold the door for you. Like, he'll, he'll, he's held an elevator for me before. He's just a genuinely nice old dude. Um, and I, yeah. So I, I think that he will get a proper goodbye from TV. Yeah, I think the problem with that is it's, it's like a TV show that you like. If they don't end it at the right time, it all just goes to hell and you're like wow I wish those last three seasons didn't exist yeah and that's that's what I don't want to see with with a lot of people that we have in the game right now like I just rewatched Community on Netflix it's a little bit off our topic of <laughs> that's alright I just rewatched uh, it or I just watched it for the first time just finished it a couple of weeks ago that's funny so I actually love it it was well, like I have a super soft spot for it but I just like those last seasons where there's no Troy and then uh, Pierce dies and you're like, wow, there's so many randoms. Like, what is even going on? Like, it, those seasons, it could, if it just ended right around when Pierce died, I think it's totally different series. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I want to see happen with a lot of my favorite TV personalities, Ron McClain included. Like, I just want you to walk away at a time where you get to walk away respected respectfully i don't want people to be like wow that guy goes on he rambles he looks like he has dementia like those comments make me sick and i don't want it to end like that no i agree i want it to end gracefully all right let's get into the rest of the first round the hockey that is playing right now um we talked about some of the stories about the start of the first round last week, so let's go through the end of the first round this week. Um, one of my favorite stories out of this playoff so far has been Spencer Knight. Um, man, this kid is good. 
and he is going to be a good goalie as long as they don't Carter Hart him. Um, but he came in and played a wicked game of hockey the other night. So actually, Spencer Knight, it's crazy to see, right? Like you hear this all the time. Goalies don't get good right away. You even saw with Carey Price, it took a minute. If this is how Spencer Knight actually starts off, you could see him go down as one of the best goalies uh, ever to play in the NHL. And it's really early, but that's how you get to be one of the first people to make one of those hot takes, is you just say the most ridiculous things. So <laughs> I, I'm getting it in right now while I got my chance. That being said, a lot of people said that about uh, a lot of goalies. Malcolm Subban, Jack Campbell, those are all first-rounders that um, are still figuring it out or might not figure it out long-term. So taking goalies is is a difficult task, but Florida doesn't have much choice. Spencer Knight's forced their hand. He's played really well, and he deserves the opportunity. Uh, when you come into college, you're playing against men, so it's not as big of a jump. And he's really shown that he does have what it takes. Yeah, and like I was texting you the other night during the game, because I was obviously like I, while I'm watching the Leafs game, I'm flipping through looking at the other games and stuff too. And Spencer Knight came out in the first period with he let a goal in on his very first shot in the playoffs, and then had 22 saves on 21 shots in the first period. He was absolutely shelled in that period, and he stood on his head and kept Florida alive. I mean, obviously Florida's out now, but. You can only ask so much of the guy when your defense is doing nothing in front of him. So, like, that that performance is so impressive to me. For him to come out in his first ever playoff game and do that is wicked. And I, I think that that is a sign of the times to come for this kid. Yeah, um... Uh... Uh, Florida's really committed to their goalie development program. They they fired that up, I think it was last year. Uh, it's got Roberto Luongo. It's got a bunch of really good names involved in it. They also have Devin Levi in their system, who played in the World Juniors for Canada this year oh, and was yeah. lights out. So I forgot about him. Florida has a ton of good goalies coming in. Uh, Spencer Knight, wow. The kid just looks like He's absolutely got ice in his veins. Lots of guys give up a goal on their first shot. You might as well send him to the dressing room, Tom, to start again tomorrow. You got to give that kid credit. In yeah. a playoff game, to bounce back like that, that takes some real, real focus. And he's a real gamer to be able to do it. And that doesn't get talked about as much in the NHL. But, man, there are some gamers. And uh, Spencer Knight's looking like he is one. And honestly, I think this whole series is different with Ekblad. He's having oh, his yeah. best season of his life. And 
he had got exceptional status. Like this guy, most likely, is gonna still turn into a franchise defenseman. We kind of forget that he's he's only 24, or 25 years old because he broke in at 18. Florida is on their way up, and when the divisions go back to normal, the Atlantic is going to be nuts. So the Habs might as well enjoy being in the playoffs this year because I don't know if they will be next year. So how many years does Florida have where they're going to be banking on Bobrovsky to maybe play good enough, but before they have a Spencer Knight, Devin Levi, one-two pair? That's ridiculous. If Levi pans out how he played in... Uh, in the juniors, and Spencer Knight obviously played really well in the juniors as well. Man, that's a ridiculous one-two pair. Um, hopefully, they, uh, hopefully there's no Vancouver management anywhere near that Florida team. Cause <laughs> I still think about that. You had Luongo and Snyder, and then you had nobody. Like, how does that even happen? So, like, for the love of God, if you have Spencer Knight and Devin Levi, don't screw it up. Yeah. Which, I mean, it sounds like, like you said, they've built their goalie development program. So, hopefully they won't. Hopefully they'll do it properly. Yeah, I think that they've had their eyes opened up a little bit. Uh, Similar to Calgary. They've had some decent goalie prospects uh, come through their system, and they've not been able to turn them into what they thought they could be. They had uh, Samuel, uh, I want to say it's Montblanc, uh, go through their system, and a lot of people had high hopes for him, and he's still kind of just toiling in between the NHL and the AHL, obviously being surpassed by by night now, so I think they opened their eyes and said, listen, we, we've we seen it actually pretty good at drafting goalies, but we have to do a better job of developing them, and they picked the perfect time to do it, because they got some real good goalies in their system. Yeah. Alright, so let's look at two teams that are now out of the playoffs, and I would say largely be- because their goaltending wasn't up to snuff. And that is the Penguins and the Capitals. First off, the Penguins. Kind of just did what I said not to do. You had two goalies that were good. And somehow or another, you ended up trading them away and going with the third guy. Like, how does that even happen? I don't feel bad for the Penguins. I actually kind of did. when We did our episode a little while ago about how about Berkey and Hextall were going to come in and try to keep the core together. But that's some tough decision-making right there. And uh, I actually thought the Penguins played well, but they just didn't have enough to to get past the Islanders' system. Jeff Carter wanted to go to the second round, but a lot of the other Pittsburgh Penguins didn't look like they wanted to. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, honestly, like, I mean, I picked the Islanders to win, but I'm kind of disappointed that they did. <laughs> like, I was hoping oh, I to be wrong on that. Oh, I hate watching the Oilers. What's that? I hate watching the Islanders play. Like, I hate it. Like, I wish they would just, like, I get it, they win. You're the new New Jersey Devils, but it sucks to watch you play. <laughs> like, Trot system without OV is just so mind-numbingly boring to watch. Yeah. Like, I actually hate the Islanders. I don't know if we got any Islanders fans listening, but I love hockey and I hate watching your team. But you're probably going to win a cup within the next three or four years. It doesn't yeah. matter who they who they plug in there. They're effective. Like, there's a bunch of guys who don't jump out to you as, like, the greatest NHL players, but they just manage to fit within the system. Yeah, like, the I, I still can't get over the fact, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but the fact that Leo Komarov is still on their top line and it is an, is an effective player on a top line is astounding to me. I don't understand that. But it works for them. Yeah, and, and honestly, Leo Komarov has sneaky skills. Like he's not Zach Hyman, but he's kind of similar. Like, yeah, he's not he's not really good at anything, but he's not bad at anything either. Like he's he's an NHL he's an NHL player at literally everything, but he's not really good at anything. And it does make him kind of an interesting player to watch. Yeah, I feel like his skill set really explains the entire Islander system to a T. Yeah, honestly, I would not want to play against the Islanders because they are just going to beat you to a pulp. There is way too many guys on that uh, team that think body first, puck second. But it works. (laughs) No, it works great, and it's perfect for playoffs. Assuming they can stay healthy, and Sorokin looks like a stud. Yeah. So, like, they might actually be the New Jersey Devils here soon. They play this fucking lockout system, and then they have an unreal goalie, and they have decent ability to score goals with guys like Barzell and Everly. They might be able to squeak out a lot of 3-2 wins in the next five years. And... I hope they don't, or they get more interesting to watch, but I I think they're set up for success, to be honest. The Capitals look ridiculous for not paying trots. When you look at the amount of talent he doesn't have with the Islanders and how successful they are, it's ridiculous that they didn't pay him. But does a trot system work if you're running what they they came in with their third backup goalie to the playoffs. Like yeah, it obviously helps, but I don't know if the I don't know if the Caps could have overcome that even with a trots like system. I don't know. The Islanders have salvaged a lot of goalies' careers. Like who was Varlamov two years ago? Nobody knew. That's why Colorado got rid of him. 
Yeah. And he was he was one of the best goalies in the league until Sorokin took over this year. Similar to Bobrovsky, I think you can look really good in a good system. Bobrovsky's making ten million because despite the reasons that you might not like John Tortorella, he's got a damn good system and he's a damn good coach. Yeah, he does. That's I'm curious where Tortorella is going to end up. Actually, it's totally off topic, but um, it's Seattle. You think so? Because they're going to they're going to have a bunch of randoms. So who's the best guy to coach a bunch of randoms? A system coach. Yeah, like the the Islanders are basically a bunch of randoms. Yeah, that's true. I could see him going to Seattle. Um. I could also just say him see him or see him saying he's done. See, I couldn't see that. I don't think he's done yet. I could see him taking a year off. But I don't think he's done with the league yet. He's still fairly young. This makes me think of another conversation we should definitely pencil in uh for a future podcast about whether we think Mike Babcock will ever be in the NHL ever again. Yeah, that's a good conversation. Let, so let's, let's, let's remember that one for the future. Yeah, we'll remember that one. Yeah. All right, let's get back on track. So um, what was the next story we had? So the Jets. Oh, sweep. we did we did the Penguins, but we didn't really talk about uh, the other team that went out. Oh, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that Washington Bruins series um, didn't really go how I expected. <laughs> I thought Washington would dominate. I agree. I thought Washington was going to be good. I didn't expect all their goalie stuff. I I honestly really like Sam Sonoff when he's in the net. It's a shame that he has so so many on-ice, off-ice distractions. The yeah. one thing that really, really bugs me about that whole series is the Bruins are getting so old, like their core, and it just doesn't seem to matter. Like, I just, and like, this isn't me being a bitter Leafs fan at all. Every once in a while, Every year that goes by, I just think, you know, this will be the year that Patrice Bergeron and Krejci and Brad Marchand take a step back. Because to me, that is kind of the original core of the Bruins team that we've seen kind of be dominant for the last X amount of years, even before Pasternak. Yeah, yeah, they're the core of this era of Bruins, for sure. Yeah. Pasternak is part of today's core, but to me, like, those are the guys that have been around that have seen win Stanley Cups and play really well in the playoffs. Yeah. And they just, they're still good. Like, they're still good. They have had some weird goalie things go on, and uh, Rask left last year, and that didn't seem to matter a ton. Like, they were still able to hang around. This team has built themselves really well, and they've managed to get their core players 
It's just something not every team has. They just managed to stay healthy despite their age. Uh, it reminds me similar of San Jose without the Cubs. Like, San Jose was a perennial playoff contender with an older core for a long time. And it's the same thing. I just kind of thought, you know, one one day or another, this team is going to kind of start to fade away. But they're not really doing that. Patrice Bergeron, to me, is still just as scary as he ever was as yep. far as attacking on both ends of the ice. Yeah, and I, like at the start of the season, we saw Krejci kind of take a step back, but then... He's ended the season fairly strong. So, like, well, you add Taylor Hall. He's got a a real right winger for the a left winger for the first time in his life, and he's yeah. like, "Wow, this is actually way easier." Yeah, and Taylor Hall looks like a great pickup for um, for Boston. Or Taylor Hall, his whole career could have been different if he would have just went second overall. Who, where would he have gone if he was second overall? He would have went to Boston. But then who would Boston have missed? They Sagan would have had to go first. So then, like, oh, okay. But Sagan got traded for being a, a drinking and partying after they won the cup. Yeah. And doing a bunch of road shit they didn't really like because he was young. And I kind of see Taylor Hall as a player that probably would have stayed in Boston. Yeah. So, like, he probably would be in Boston right now, but he would have never been traded around. His career might be a lot different. To me, Taylor Hall was good enough to be a franchise player, but he doesn't have what it takes between the years to be a franchise player. Yeah, and I think that's why he fits in so well with Boston right now. Yeah, the pressure's not on him. He's a secondary player, and he's flourishing in that space, similar to Kessel uh, on the Penguins. Yeah. Also, I don't know how a winger went over a center in the first place. Like, I still think about that. Like, I remember that draft when I was in high school, Taylor versus Tyler. And being a Leaf fan and seeing the Flames struggle to find a number one center now and knowing how hard they are to come by and what the Oilers had at the time, I don't know how they take Taylor Hall and not Tyler Sagan. Yeah, and where could the Oilers be now or be if they had... Um, if they had switched. Yeah, because I don't really think a Canadian team has a problem with Tyler Sagan drinking and partying. I don't think they, they really would care, to be honest. Maybe the Habs, but I don't think Edmonton would really care. I think he'd fit right in with the culture. Yeah. yeah. And I think Canadians are a little more realistic with that. We know that our hockey players... Are, are partying and doing whatever, and I really don't care as long as they perform on the ice. No, I feel like it's almost expected because, shit, that's what we're doing after the game. After a big win or whatever, we're partying and drinking. So, yeah, hell, bring the, like, let the players be relatable like that. Yeah, I never, I never really saw the problem with Tyler Sagan because in my mind, 
he was performing on the ice. Like, it's different. There's been guys before, uh, I can't remember, Mike Ribeiro. Mike Ribeiro was disgusting, but he kind of had a drinking thing, and he was kind of on and off really, really good. This is a long time ago. There's probably people listening to the podcast who don't even remember who Mike Ribeiro was. Uh, but I'm, I'm one of those people. <laughs> uh, well, like, he played in Nashville, and, like, he's still under contract, and one year he was just like, yeah, like, I'm done. I'm not coming back. Like, didn't really even say anything to anyone, didn't, like, contact his agent, didn't fucking show back up to camp in Nashville. He just, like, was done. <laughs> and, like, to this day, I'm still kind of stunned because the guy was actually really good. But there was always all this stuff going on about what he got up to off the ice. Like, whenever Nashville lost the playoff series, it would all be like, oh, so-and-so saw Mike Ribeiro, you know, drinking and partying here. Well, what about the night that you saw him drinking and partying the night before he scored a hat trick? He didn't care about that. Like, some guys can do it. Like, I just, if a guy can do it, you just got to let him do it. Like, some yeah, guys as long as it's not a problem, then... Who cares? And if it's that big of a problem, trade him. Don't throw him under. I guess, like, in that part, I agree with what Boston did. They just traded Tyler Sagan. Yeah. They didn't ruin his entire reputation and turn him into a third liner. But Boston's a really good team. And uh, they're slowly filtering in young players. And... This is going to be interesting to see if they can pull this off because they're looking like they might do it. They yeah. might not actually totally fuck off like we've seen other teams do. No, I think the biggest question for Boston right now is going to be goaltending because um, Rask might be leaving. Like, I don't know if Rask resigns for next season. He might retire, right? So, what is What is up with that? I don't really understand that. I don't know. Honestly, it just kind of sounds like he's tired of the lifestyle. The constant travel, the back and forth, the not being able to see his family all the time. I think like that's what it is, which I mean, that's understandable. But I don't know. Like When you sign up for the NHL, that's kind of, you know what you're in for. Yeah, I... To me, it just, it's weird. It's such a weird catch-22. Because, like, I was a huge Eddie Belfort fan growing up as a Leafs fan. I love that guy. First off, best nickname a goalie's ever had, in my personal opinion. Eddie the Eagle, that's a sick name for a goalie. And then he had, like, the sweet mask. Like, he totally embraced it. Like, it was unreal. That was a sick name. And he embraced it. He was a stud. And he came back after the lockout in 05. And he just wasn't my boy anymore. He wasn't the guy that I'd always known. And it sucks to see that. But at the same time, seeing a guy like Tuka Rask leave when he's still a very good NHL goalie, it's tough to see that too. So it's this weird catch 22 where if you're really good I want you in the league for exactly what I was saying earlier where I just want to see the best players play all the sports that I love 
Yeah. But at the same time, it sucks seeing a guy that you used to really love just be a shell of his former self. Well, and I wonder if that's part of it, too, because, like, Rask is – he's 34 years old, so he's coming up to that age where goalies tend to sort of – tend to start to fall off. Maybe he's just like, I want to get out while I'm ahead. I don't want to have that fall off and that sort of collapse of my career. I just want to go down as, like, this is this is me. This is how, who I am. There's no – negative memories and bad taste left in, in Bruins fans' mouths in the sense that he his game drops off, right? Yeah, I can definitely, I can see that. I think it's going to be a tough day for Bruins fans when he, when he walks away. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's going to be this year or not. Like, it's, nobody really knows except for him, right? But he's been hemming and hawing about it for what feels like is like three years. So yeah, like it's it's not going to surprise me whenever it happens. No, I agree. All right, let's uh, let's go up to the north. Um, the Jets swept the Oilers. <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody expected that. I know a lot of people did expect the Jets to win, but I don't think anybody expected a sweep. Um, I do have a bit of a take on that, though. I think watching watching the games and looking at some of the numbers, like, yeah, obviously they shut down McDavid pretty well. They shut down Dreisaitl pretty well. Um, but the a big number that stood out to me was that Darnell Nurse – Averaged 38.5 minutes per game over the four games. So what that tells me is that Edmonton didn't trust any of their other defenders to be on the ice. For the most part, right? Like, that's a lot of time. At different times in his career, I've kind of been like, as much as the Oilers don't like him because of the Hall trade, I've always kind of been an Adam Larson fan. And, like, I saw him a couple times this year, and I feel similar to you. Like, a lot of their defensemen didn't really look like NHL defensemen out there. And we've seen it before. Tyson Berry is good in the O zone. In the D zone. It's a toss-up between him and Jake Gardner. Yeah. And I think that's really what it came down to for the Oilers, I think, is that their defense just wasn't wasn't good enough. They got some offense other than the like the one game they got shut out, obviously. In game one they only had what one goal. But game three and four, they had points. Their defense just wasn't good enough. Um and I, I think that's that's the story of this series for me. It wasn't so much McDavid or Dreisaitl or those top-end guys. It wasn't even their bottom six. It was their defense that dropped the ball. And obviously Mike Smith didn't have the best series either. But it's hard to have a good series when your defense is doing fuck all in front of you. Well, and their depth is so brutal. It is. Like, 
honestly, I think they'd be better with like a bottom six of all fourth liners who know that they're fourth liners. The problem with the the Oilers players that they have in their top nine below their big guns is that they're really a bunch of guys uh, from Europe or from other teams' discard pile who think they're skilled players still. Like, I didn't see any of those guys playing the way you should have been playing in the playoffs. No, not at all. Like, in, on top of that, you just said that the Oilers' defense didn't hold up to the team who everyone is questioning their defense going into the playoffs. Yeah. But the Jets' what? defense was half decent. Like, they, for the most part, weren't bad. I honestly, uh, the more that I think about it, the Jets were on to something a little bit. Like, if you're not going to upgrade your defense a ton, which I don't think they could, and they needed to upgrade with term because they're the Winnipeg Jets and they have a hard time keeping players. So I just didn't see that fit with the guy that they could have got that had term that would have been, like, a great guy for them to have. So they might have done the right thing, play their young guys and let those guys become players. And they had the whole season, and now it matters, and let's see what you got. Yeah, and we saw them lean on Logan Stanley, and Stanley wasn't bad. Like, obviously he wasn't the best defender on the ice, but he played a good enough game that they swept the Oilers still. So I think that's what it comes down to is, yeah, they, they leaned on their young guys, and they paid off. Now, do you think Logan Stanley can be, like, a consistent top six player at some point? Or, like, on a consistent the Jets, top four player? On the Jets, yes. That's on the Jets, absolutely. I could see Logan Stanley being a top six guy. On a stronger defensive team... No, not at all. Because, like, Derek Forbert is on their defense, correct? Yep. And he has either been on a bad NHL team rebuilding his career or in the AHL, and he's not, like, super young. So, like, to me, the fact that he is a consistent NHLer for them, it it says something. Like, it says that they're – They've taken a step back from being like a team three years ago when they had Myers and Bufflin and Morrissey was on the second pair and they had Truba. Like that was the scariest decor in the NHL. Yeah, it was. And they've taken a huge step back on that. Yeah, so like there is a lot of room for these guys in their lineup to prove that they are. NHL players. If I'm a young NHL player on the cusp, like one of those in-betweener guys, Winnipeg's actually a place I want to go. I think Derek Forbert can go there and cash in because he's got the opportunity 
to prove himself on a decent team, which he hadn't got before. He'd either be on like a rebuilding team where people would be like, well, maybe he's part of the reason they're bad, or he'd be in the A. But now he's been a functioning defenseman on a good team. Like, I think this is payday for Derek Forbert. Yeah, it could be. Um, you're quiet. I don't know if your mic's just far away from your mouth or... I uh, had my earphone fall out, but it wasn't the side I thought it was. It was the side with the mic on. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's all good. I still, like, picked that all up, but it was just quieter. All right. Um, where are we there? What do you want to say next about the Jets? I don't want to play them next round. <laughs> I don't think anybody should want to play the Jets. Nope, not looking forward to that at all. If if as long as we get out of this round. <laughs> well, if we don't get out of this round, I'm not watching the North Division playoffs next series because the Canadians have no chance in hell. No, well they shouldn't anyway. They shouldn't have a chance in hell at this series, really. But the Tavares thing kind of decapitated us a little bit. Yeah. Like, I, if I'm a Habs fan, I'm, I, this actually sounds brutal because I'm a Leafs fan, but I've wanted to say it all week, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fucking go say for it. it. If you're a Habs fan and you're super proud of that first win you got against the Leafs, you're absolutely an idiot. Matthews was like crying on the bench, literally, like even our whole coaching staff was just shook, like. And you didn't win by a ton. You didn't. Like, I'm sorry, but your team got screwed by making the playoffs last year because it made you look like you had a chance. And now you got in because of the North Division and you're committed to some of these players because you thought you had a chance from the previous year. And next year, you're screwed. When the divisions go back to normal, the Atlantic is going to be tough, and Ottawa is going to get better fast. And before you know it, Montreal will be at the bottom. I don't know if you're right. I think you might be wrong on that one. I mean, yes, you're right. Who's if if fans are the- um, excited about that first one, like, yeah, sure, be excited, but you know why you won that first game. There's there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they won that first game because the Leafs were just totally shook up. Hell, like, all the fans were totally shook up. I couldn't even imagine being in that building um, and trying to go on and play, finish that game. But I think you might be wrong about um, Montreal's future. Do I think that they're going to be top tier play or to, a top tier team? No, but I don't think they're going to be at the bottom of the division either. I think that Suzuki is a really solid player. Kotkaniemi, really solid guy, just needs a little more development. Um, Caulfield, going to be really solid, just needs a little more development. Um. Yeah. 
and then they've got like like Gallagher still a really good player. They they have a core of players that are really solid players. I think they're just missing a few pieces and they're missing some of that star talent that I think they have. It's just still under development. Um, I just don't, I just don't know who's going to take a step back in the Atlantic. The Bruins still look good. Tampa Bay is still going to be good. We just said Florida's looked way better than they've ever looked in the history of us watching them play. I just don't know who's going to take a step back that's going to allow the Canadians to be a playoff team. Yeah, oh, all right. You might be right there, actually, then. Looking at the rest and of like, the Atlantic. but And, like, I've been there with uh, being a Leafs fan before. There were times where the Leafs were a playoff team in other divisions or in, in, a, in the other conference or whatever it may be. But sometimes... You just got to pull the pin because the guys ahead of you are so far ahead of you. And even though you're actually a pretty good team, you might as well get some assets for it because there's a lot of things in front of you. Like Tampa's not slowing down as far as I'm concerned. Florida looks like a really good team. And I think they're only going to get better. I think the Bruins are... Maybe the team that the Habs could could beat out. Yeah, especially if their goaltending takes a slide. But but like I said, we've been waiting for this slide for four years, so I'm starting to I'm getting less and less uh, of a believer that it's gonna happen. To be honest. Yeah. Like their decor is actually super young, and they're they're playing really well, and they subtracted Zdeno Chara, who was their captain. Yeah, I'm actually surprised at how good um, Boston's decor has done this year. It's because like, it's totally different than the classic Boston decor of years gone by with Johnny Boychuk and Chara and a bunch of guys that you just wouldn't want to go in the corners with. These guys are more skilled, more speed, more uh, like smaller type players. Yeah, yeah, they're, they've got a different look for sure. Like the only guy that really reminds me of a classic Bruins defenseman is that Brandon Carlo, and I don't know that he is. Uh, I don't know that he's going to develop into quite what they thought he was going to be. He's had some injury problems, and and I'm just kind of concerned that maybe his ceiling's going to be hampered because of that. Yeah. All right, so we kind of touched on the Leafs. Why don't that was we... a pretty big tangent. Yeah, yeah, that's like, let's get get a little bit back on track. So yeah, we started talking a little bit about the Tavares situation and the Leafs, but why don't we why don't we dive into the Leafs a little further, um, and talk about their first round so far? So obviously they have a chance to close it out tonight in Montreal in front of the fans. God, I hope they can do it because that'll just be real sweet to shut all the fans up. These fans that have gone in spent $10,000 to buy a ticket to watch their team get eliminated. I hope. <laughs> um, but the Leafs have had, overall, a really solid series. Especially considering the fact that Tavares and Felino have both been out of the lineup. Yeah. 
Yeah, honestly, like hearing analysts talk about how well the Leafs are playing defensively, I actually kind of have to pinch myself. That's yeah. something I've never heard in my entire life. Like, the other night they were showing a highlight pack of William Nylander applying back pressure and forcing turnovers. And I was like, and I'm not a Nylander hater like a lot of the Leafs fans, but that's not something I expect out of that guy. And honestly, he looked good doing it. Yeah. No, but I like that you brought up that uh, their defense has been solid because that actually lets me lets me talk about a bit of a hot take that I have with this Leafs team. Um, I don't think Jack Campbell is as good as he looks right now. I don't think that he is a consistent starter in the NHL still. Um, I think that he could be with the Leafs if they can keep this level of defense up. But what I've seen a lot out of this series and leading and like in the last um, the last games of the season is that he's really solid when the Leafs can keep the offense to the outside, when he has time to react, which I mean, I I suppose you could say that about any goalie, but you look at really high caliber goalies in the league, like the really, the best goalies in the league, and they're able to react quickly in those scramble situations in front of the net. And Jack Campbell does sometimes, but then there are a lot of times where that's where his shortfall is. And he's not able to react with the blocker as fast. And I think the more we see of Jack Campbell, the more the other teams are seeing of Jack Campbell, the more they're getting a book on Jack Campbell and they're finding his weaknesses and they're going to be able to play to those weaknesses. I hope that they don't have that book before the end of the playoffs. Um, But I think going into next year, they're going to have a much better idea of how Jack Campbell plays and they're going to know how to play against them, and that worries me as a Leafs fan. Uh, so I actually am going to disagree with you a little bit, but I do I agree with a lot of what you said. So we'll go back to, we referenced James Reimer earlier. So the one hope we have is that Jack Campbell was a stud when he was young. And I remember hearing... A long time ago, probably on Twitter, so who knows how legit it is. I'm not an I'm not a TV analyst, so don't ruin me. But somebody dug up a book from a team that played James Reimer in playoffs that said his glove hand was bad, and the second the NHL knew his glove hand was bad, he was a backup goalie. And I think so that's going to be the case with Jack Campbell with his blocker side. The only problem for me is Jack Campbell, when he was young, you're not finding a book on what his weaknesses are because he was a stud. Right. So there might not be a book. Like you might have, they might have, to, they might figure it out over the next year, year and a half. It might take longer. Like they were able to jump back into Rivers Jr. career and find something wrong with him. Well, when Jack Campbell was coming up, everyone thought he was a, he was God's gift to goaltending. Right. So yeah, I see your point. No, that it might be it might be, be right. harder to find that book. 
The other thing I don't like is um, the Leafs have done a poor job of boxing out in front of Jack Campbell. Like, if he makes the first save, you have to give him the opportunity to get on the rebound, and that's on the defenseman. That's on Rasmus Sandin. That's on Justin Hall, who is actually really pissing me off. Yep, I agree with that. Like, you have... There's been a couple times now where Jack Campbell's made one or two or three saves in a row where he should have only had to make one save, should have covered it up, should have been a face-off, and you never know where it goes from there. But they're doing a poor job boxing out. Yeah, and I will say, too, Jack Campbell, especially through... They're not going to box out the Jets. Sorry about that. No. No, I agree with that. That's what, honestly, I think that's what scares me the most about the Jets. I think that we can match up with them offensively, but they're going to break through our defense a lot better than the Habs can. Um, but I think that's that's one thing I will say about Jack Campbell, though, is his glove has been unreal. Like, he probably has the best glove hand that I've seen from a Leafs goalie in a long time. Like, I honestly, thinking back in my memory of, like, watching hockey, I don't know if I've ever been as confident in a goalie's glove as I am with Jack Campbell. Yeah, I actually... If I'm Freddie Anderson, I'm going to say this because I've wanted to say it for a bit. If I'm Freddie Anderson, I'm bitter as as all get out. Because for some reason, the Leafs have decided that they play better in front of Jack Campbell. They like him more. I don't know what it is. I don't know what Freddie did because supposedly him and Austin Matthews are best friends. So you'd think they'd want to look out for Austin Matthews' boy, but... They play better in front of Jack Campbell. Yeah, they play like a more confident defense. It's not debatable defenses. for me at this point. Yeah, um, they do. They play a more confident, de- confident defensive system in front of Campbell. And uh, yeah, I don't know why that is. Yeah, and and I don't really think Freddie's done anything just just. To specifically deserve that. Like, I just... I've seen it happen before with a backup goalie who doesn't really deserve to be there. They they just play too scrambly because they're trying to eliminate every chance. But they just play, plain and simple, better with Jack Campbell in the net. And it's actually pretty unfair to Freddie Anderson, who's been a pretty good soldier for the Leafs through this rebuild. And he was actually a pretty good starting goalie, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. I think that wherever Freddie plays next year, whether it's with the Leafs or with another team, the other, whatever team he goes to, is getting a solid starter. I don't think that he comes back with the Leafs unless he's willing to take a solid pay cut and be a 1A, 1B pairing. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do agree with that. Like They do seem to play better in front of Campbell, which, I mean, it's great. 
it's awesome to watch because like they're they've played really well and but it, yeah it's not fair to freddie i would be a little pissed off if i was freddie too the other thing that uh, concerns me is there's no pressure on the Habs. That is one thing they have in their corner. No one expects them to be there. Well, they have 2,500 fans in the building tonight that expect them to win. That's a little pressure. That's true. Uh, do you think Sandine plays tonight? Nope. I think they go with Dermot tonight. And I think that they should go with Dermot tonight. Um, uh, go ahead. Okay, honestly, I think they got to do a better job of of controlling when Sandine gets his minutes. I do think he brings things to the... Travis Dermott doesn't bring anything to the Leafs that the Leafs don't have. Sandine does bring things that the Leafs actually need. He's got a one-timer on the power play. He can make little moves and open guys up offensively. But he's still a 20-something-year-old defenseman. Like, Sheldon Keefe does a lot of things I like. But he hasn't been doing a very good job of protecting Sandine. Yeah, I agree with that. They've kind of been throwing him into situations where he just isn't quite ready for yet. Um, and you know what? Part of the reason that Leafs fans hated Jake Gardner is because when he was a third-line defenseman, we did a really good job of protecting him, and he looked like a stud. Right. He only got offensive zone touches. He very rarely uh, was on the ice for defensive zone draws. They just did the right things, and I think that that would be huge for Sandine because I want him to... I don't want him to be one of those defensemen that lose their offensive skills. Yeah, I agree like, with that. Bogosian was a top five pick. And he actually had some real offensive instincts. And they just kind of got washed away by coaches. Yeah, and now Bogosian is very much a stay-at-home grinder yeah and that's fine like he's still an nhl player yeah and he's he's good in that role but yeah i i see what you mean by that completely that you don't want that to to go away no i don't want him to get deterred like that's the only argument i have for keeping Lilligren in the a is it allows him to continue to be that player yeah the offensive player that, that if he is because to me, Timothy Lilligren is never going to be a bottom pair defenseman. He's either a top four or a top two or a bust. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see. I can see that for sure. Because you need. So, like, that. I, do, I just. Go ahead. I just worry about those offensive guys, and I don't. And you can't shelter them all the time. But it's playoffs right now. We need to win. And Sandine does bring things that will help us win. So I think right now is the time to shelter him. Next season, I don't think you do any sheltering. 
I want to see what we have in him. Because I honestly think he could be a, a top pair defenseman if things go yeah. right. Because when he makes mistakes, it's not like he made the wrong play or he literally was like a huge turnover. It's always like he could have made a little bit safer play. It's not like, oh my God, that was an outrageous turnover. And like, he just needs to sit on the bench for the next 15 minutes. Right. So the reason I think they go with Dermot tonight is the same reason I said, um, in was it game four, they went with Dermot, I think over Sandine. Yeah. And I think that, because Sandine is young, he doesn't quite have the same decision-making skills as Dermot. I think Dermot, like you just said, is going to make that slightly smarter decision. He may not have the same offensive ability, but he's going to make the smarter decision. And in this game, I think that you have to rely on that because um, Thursday night, game five, the Leafs made a lot of bad decisions offensively and defensively. They were... They played a very loose game, and I think that that burnt them in the first period. And very could have very easily burnt them throughout the whole game if Jack Campbell didn't play a solid game. And I think Dermot is going to make those smarter decisions that you need in a late playoff series. And like Bogosian said, they're going to treat today like as if it were a Game 7. So... If you're treating it like a game seven, you go with the smarter player rather than the more offensively gifted player. Yeah, I I agree I, uh, with that a little bit. I think it wouldn't be the worst idea to just put Dermot in, believe in his decision-making, showcase him a little bit for the expansion draft, win this series, and then make your decision on Sandine when it's a little bit of less of a dire situation. Yeah. Um, so actually, I, I heard an interesting take that potentially Kerfoot could be taken in expansion now because he's played such a good series. Honestly, if playoff Kerfoot is a thing like that actually lasts, I'll be a little bit disappointed. But he's been given a lot of opportunity with the Leafs and to be like a center, and he's not really proven that, that he is one. No, he's played better on the wing. Other than yeah, on that second line with Tavares and Felino being out over the past two games. He's been really, really strong. Three games. Yeah, but I would argue that Nylander is the line driver there. Yeah. Like, um, when Tavares went down, I went through my head, and I was like, who who needs to step up? And Nylander didn't really ring the bell for me because I didn't think he could do it. But, wow, this guy just went, all right, we're doing this. That's my boy. Yeah, and actually something really interesting I've noticed with Nylander that I haven't seen them do or I haven't noticed them do it through the entire regular season 
is on the power play, they're putting Nylander at that quarterback position rather than the defenseman and letting Morgan Riley come up to the corner where he's slightly closer to the net and can actually get the shot off because Nylander can get that slapper off from the point. Riley can't. Um, And through the regular season, I saw them do that with Austin Matthews a few times, but I never noticed them doing it with Nylander. And I find it as like, it's a really interesting choice and I like it because it's smart. Nylander can quarterback that power play from the point rather than from the sides where you see um, with the first power play, it's usually Marner Matthews on the side and then Sandine or Riley at the point. And they, with the second power play, they switched it and they were putting Nylander on the point with Riley on the side and Thornton on the other side, possibly. Nylander actually played the point on the power play with Team Sweden in the World Juniors the year after we drafted him in Toronto. And I watched, I had tickets to a lot of those games and I watched him a lot. And he played there the entire time and he ran the power play. And honestly, Nylander has an incredible hockey IQ that's kind of slept on. Yeah, like, it that's is why underrated. He, that's why he can play... That's why he can play defense the way he plays defense and not the way that everyone who hates on him for the way he plays uh, can understand. Like, he makes a lot of little plays that knock the puck loose that are great defensive plays that people don't even pick up on, and that's his smarts as a hockey player. Yeah. I think he looks, I think he looks super comfortable at the point. He can see the whole ice. He's a natural center. I think he actually played pretty well as a center in the offensive zone when given the opportunity. So let him be the playmaker on the power play. I honestly think he's got the chops for it. And he's one of those guys that he gets better with the puck on his stick. So I don't hate the fact that he's going to get a lot of touches on the second power play unit because I think it's great for him. But when William Nylander has a game where he gets the puck a lot in the first period, that whole game he plays really well. He's one of those players he needs to get his touches in. Yeah, because it, it builds his confidence. And I just I love what we've seen from him through the playoffs. I've lo- I love what we've seen from a lot of the guys through the playoffs. Honestly, like I think Matthews and Marner have been I like obviously not the least effective players, but they've been constantly double teamed and not given any room to move. And other than game two, they've had a really quiet playoff and they, the Leafs have had to rely on their depth and it's worked like the, their depth has come through, but I think tonight we really have to see Matthews and Marner flex a little bit and make, make room for themselves. Tonight, I was going to tweet it, but I'm going to say it on the podcast because I don't want to forget and not get my brownie points for this. Tonight is Wayne Simmons' night. I hope he you're has right. been. He has been heating up. He had three posts last game, and we lost in overtime. Yeah. He had a post right at the start of the game, up and over Carey Price's shoulder on the short side. That he actually scores all the time, and it's a disgusting goal. Like, I've never even seen people try to make that play. Like, the only other guy that makes that shot in a Leafs uniform is 
JVR. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. And I feel like Simmons is the type of player that would go out looking for blood in front of the fans too. Like he wants to shut the fans off. He would get just as much energy playing for opposing fans as he would playing for Leafs fans. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be huge tonight is if the Leafs can use the energy that they get from shutting the fans up. <laughs> and, and Simmons is a guy that I could do that. All, most of their mature guys, I think, will do that. They're going to get so hyped up just to play in front of fans, regardless of whether they're getting cheered for or not. Um, and honestly, I'm just I'm really excited to watch a Leafs game with fans <laughs> tonight. Well, I'll tell you, Joe Thornton better bring it tonight in front of the fans, because if he doesn't, it might be the last time he plays in front of fans in his career. Yeah, you're you're right, actually. Like, and it it might be the last time a lot of, or a few of these Leafs players will get to play in front of, um, in front of fans at least in a Leafs jersey. Yeah, I 100% agree. There's a lot of guys. The other guy who's sneaky for the expansion draft might be Angball, because I might want him if I was another team. Yep. But is... No, Angball's not on his entry level anymore, is he? No, he's not. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, he's another guy that could get swiped. I just think about the guy they took from us last time. He was similar to an Angball type. Like, smaller, but... A little bit yeah. of an agitator, lots, lots of skill. Yeah, obviously his career kind of went off the rails. Yeah, I think he's playing out in – he's playing somewhere over in Europe now. Yeah, he's in the K. Well, he got caught up in that whole thing where they were calling people fat and someone exposed the text messages and oh. whatever. And I'm, I'm still a little bit sour about that because, like, the Caps fans, and that's the team he was on when that happened, are, like, on their high horse that they did the right thing. But we both know that Ovi could call the owner's daughter fat on the media, and he'd still have his job. Yeah, it's true. If it wasn't, like, a fourth-line-slash-AHL guy, then... Yeah, yeah, it'd, like it'd my, be a different my one, story. my one buddy who's a Cavs fan, he's very like, uh, very like old school hockey, but he's taking the high horse on that, and I'm like, hey man, you're being ridiculous. Like I think it was wrong, and I think he should have been punished. But like of all people to hear you take the high horse while you rave and rave and rave about everything Tom Wilson does, I'm like. You're looking a little bit distorted here. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Do you have anything else to talk about about the Leafs at all? Maybe Justin Hall will get taken in the expansion draft, and I won't have to watch him blow up as a Leaf because I don't know how long he'll be able to do what he's doing. Yeah, I think he could be taken. He's definitely an option or, like, one of the pieces that could go. Especially if they do uh, um, six and three model. Next season, I want to see um, Justin Hall playing a line without Jake Muzzin so that everyone can get a reality check. 
Yeah. I like, mean, as much I like, I don't want to see it because I want Justin Hall to be the best Justin Hall he can be, and he is only that guy when he's with Muzzin. Yeah, I just, I just hear like some people going on about how like Justin Hall is head and shoulders better than Morgan Riley, and I'm like, are you, like you're not being serious, right? Like Morgan Riley plays way more minutes. Like, you play that many more minutes, you make more mistakes. And, like, who's out there shutting it down and being a stay-at-home guy for Morgan Riley? TJ Brody? That's not the same style as Jake Muzzin. No. No, and I, I mean, I don't know if I ever said it on the podcast, but I know that you and I chatted about it around the start of the season when we were talking about Justin Hall. And I compare Justin Hall to Dion Phaneuf. Some games. I mean, obviously, like, I think that because he's with Muzzin, he plays better. Um, but I think he plays a similar game where he doesn't move his feet a lot enough. And I, he's been better this year. He's moved his feet a lot more. But last year especially, he just didn't move his feet. And players would skate right around him. And he didn't make the big hit. He just try, tried to use a stick too much. And this year he's been better. He's used his body more and he's used his legs more, but he still ha- has that similar style of play. Yeah, I would agree. And I was always the biggest advocate when, when the Leafs had enough that if he wasn't our number one defenseman, people wouldn't hate him. Yeah. Yeah, he just was, like, he I don't... didn't have it enough. He wasn't good enough to be a number one. Well, the, he's one of those guys that got caught in that weird era where the league changed really fast. Like, one year he was one of the most feared defensemen in the league because he's physical and he could skate a little bit. And then all of a sudden, like, two or three years later, the league is so much faster. And similar to what we were saying about P.K. Subban earlier, all of a sudden you go from being one of the defensemen that can skate to being one of the guys that can't skate. And his game wasn't built for that. Yeah. All right. Feels like we're starting to try, starting to ramble a little bit. So why don't we move into our players of the week? Yeah. Um, do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? Sure. I'll start it. So we talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, the league's got Phil the Thrill. We've now got Kirill the Thrill. And I'm coining another one. We've got Will the Thrill. Willie Nylander has been unreal this playoff. We talked about it earlier. He has four points in five games, or four four goals in five games. No, four points in five games. Um, he's just been a really solid player for the Leafs. He's the reason the Leafs have, or he's a big reason the Leafs have done so well. And... Man, he just looks good. I like to see it because, yeah, he's taken a lot of heat um, after the the whole contract situation, but his contract looking pretty good right now, so I don't give a shit what's in the past. (laughs) He he looks good. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree that his contract was that bad in the first place, but you're right. It looks like it's worth a ton right now compared to some of his comparables. 
People keep comparing him to Ehlers, but I could just make an argument that Ehlers is also underpaid. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. I think Ehlers is underpaid, especially because for what he does for that team. Yeah, like, I love it when people make those arguments, and it's like, hey, well, no, Eichel's not overpaid, McKinnon is underpaid. Like, there's a lot of things like that, but Nylander has really stepped it up in playoffs, and he's been quite the player. Yeah. Um, just one second. Uh, what was that, bud? You kind of broke up. Oh, okay, no. Go go ahead with yours. So, we're going to be Toronto homers this week, so I'm going to take Alec Manoa. Uh, I was pretty scared what was going to go on uh, because of what went on in Nate Pearson's debut. Then he comes up. He pitches six innings with no runs in a seven-inning doubleheader game. Looks lights out, battled back a bunch of times from down in the count to strike guys out. He was very decisive, uh, shaking the back catcher off and throwing the pitches he thought that he should throw and that he would throw it and he would strike the guy out. You got to love the decisiveness. got to love the confidence of the kid coming in there and being like, no, this is the pitch I'm going to throw and we're going to get this guy. Let's do it. Uh, the Blue Jays have been looking for pitchers, especially homegrown ones, for a long time. And this kid looks great. And uh, I wasn't sure he was going to be the player of the week. And then uh, listening to his post-game interview kind of sewed it up for me. He's talking about his family. And he gets talking about his mom and saying everything that she's done for him to become a pro baseball player and how she had to skip meals growing up. Uh in order to feed him and his brother and how being a major leaguer is going to change things for his entire family. And you got to love stories like that. So best of luck to the kid. I hope he makes millions because he deserves it. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't give him the ball for the seventh and let him, let him finish the game. But I guess he's still going out on a high. Um, and it's good to see. I, this, this kid looks like he's got a lot of talent. So, I'm excited to see where his career goes, and I'm excited to see him probably be a staple in our lineup for the rest of the season. I would be, I su- I'd be surprised if he's not. Actually, the biggest part about it was I watched that whole game because it was came on at noon, and there's nothing else for me to watch. And uh, his stuff was getting better throughout the game, and that's neat to watch. Usually you're watching the pitch count being like, oh, like he's getting up to 80 pitches and he's starting to lose a little bit here or there. His control and his power was just continually progressing as he built more confidence. This kid could actually be a real player for the Jays. All right, and I guess we'll leave the episode there. Um, 
we are coming up to about the one third point in the baseball season. Or we're so we'll probably talk about baseball over the next coming weeks, but I mean obviously hockey playoffs and NBA playoffs are kind of taking priority right now in our weekly allotted time that we give ourselves. So um But we will we'll try and talk about baseball a little bit over the next couple of weeks as well. Yeah, on um, you know, I'm excited actually for this summer when things slow down a little bit. We'll have a lot of baseball to talk about, and uh, I was worried when we we're gonna have to really slow down in the summer. But if the Jays keep playing this well, we'll have lots of things to keep talking about. Oh, and I will say too, I don't know how many of our listeners also listen to like Overdrive or some of the the big TSN or Sportsnet podcast as well. Um, but on Overdrive yesterday, they were talking about how we could potentially see the Jays play in Canada this year. Um, I don't know whether that's going to happen, but it sounds like vaccines are rolling out fast enough that come September we could get a month of, of Jays games in Toronto which is huge. Like, that'd be really cool. I would love to be yeah. able to go see a Jays game. I would really like to see frontline workers be able to go to this playoff series with the Leafs and the Habs. Yeah. Like, to me, it's a real shame that we didn't find a way to make that happen. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that comes back to the government, which, I mean, it's fair. They're focused on other things, but how hard is it to sign a piece of paper that says, yes, vaccinated nurses and doctors and whoever can, can go to the Leafs game for like 500 people per game even. And honestly, they deserve it. They deserve it. They've done so much for us over the last little while. They don't get enough credit. Um, whenever they complain, everyone just brings up how much money they make and they feel forced to shut up. Well, there's a lot of things they deal with. You couldn't pay me enough money to deal with. So yeah. And they um, still don't make enough money to deal with either. Like, yeah. Uh, like their the nurses retire with uh, PTSD and different things. There, there's a lot of people who, who don't make enough money for what they do, but this pandemic has really shown that that nurses and doctors and PSWs and all the support staff in the hospitals, uh, we take them for granted when things are good. And, when things are bad, uh, we don't really realize how bad it is. Yeah. All right. And on that note, um, make sure you interact with us on Twitter at TFanalyst or on Instagram at the Fanalyst Podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear what you guys think about the show and about any any ideas that you guys want us to cover. As always, love that you're listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, have a good week. <laughs>